Hello and welcome to the Down Memory Pit Lane podcast. I'm Jim Torok, my dad's John Torok, and we have Mr. Peter Cunningham with us today, one of the drivers in the 1989 championship season in the Honda CRX. Now, this whole podcast got started because the 1989 car was for sale on Bring a Trailer. It sold, and I decided let's start looking things up about my dad's racing history. But the problem was, I searched John Torak Team GRR Racing, and the first result that came up was Peter Cunningham. <laughs> because Peter Cunningham was Team GRR. <laughs> there were a lot of people that made uh, it such a success, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Petey, you raced, uh, in the 1988 season. We talked with Lance Stewart last time about it. He had, uh, one complaint about you, um, making sure he never ran second after you took out the leading lap. That, 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 that Lance wouldn't drive behind Peter. Lance always wanted to start. Yes, because of... Let's just call it overhydration, drenching the seat when it was hot out. <laughs> Fortunately, my perspiration uh, has no odor, unlike Lance. <laughs> <laughs> and I basically carried Lance on my shoulders the entire time. There, there you go. <laughs> I can say that because Lance isn't here to defend himself. <laughs> that's that's fine, and I don't know if he'd listen anyway. So, <laughs> no, Lance Lance was a great teammate, and I won my first ever pro race with Lance at the Twenty Four Hours of Watkins Glen in nineteen eighty seven, and then we got our first solo win together at Road America uh, later that season, and then to be able to join John Torok's team GRR for 1988. It was an honor and, and Lance and I continued to uh, be good friends and good teammates throughout that season. And uh, we deserve to win the championship together. Now I, I have a different version of the story, but maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. I remember being at Mosport for the Corvette challenge race and then flying into Mid-Ohio and uh, for that escort endurance race. And so Stu Hayner, Andy Pilgrim and I, and I don't know if maybe Sean Hendricks was with us. Um, by the time we got there, Lance has already, had already wadded up the 42 car. So I got put in the 43 car and got, and then we got the win with the 43 car there and that's why Lance and I weren't equal in points um, that season. Um, but apparently, he had to miss another race after that, or something. I guess. Too. Yeah, yeah. But you're, yeah. Thanks for reminding me because, yeah, you did fly in from most sport. I remember that. And Lance, Lance started forty two and crashed early, and then uh, you know we slotted you into forty three and. And, you know, shuffled some things around. But, I, I mean, it worked out. That's all that matters. You bet. So, but but the 89 season, you know, I... I um, 89 was like a dream season. It was a yeah. storyable season for sure. Reading uh, over the results, I can only say uh, total domination. Yeah, and I... It, and... I, Peter, you can jump in any time, but, but I think we just learned a bunch of lessons from 1988 and we just improved the cars, improved the pit stops and, and we had driver consistency because, because, um, Peter and Scott Gaylord, they shared the car the whole season. And, and I think that goes a long way to consistency. Right. And I think that the one upgrade on the car from the factory, correct me if I'm wrong, was in 88, we had rear drum brakes and in 89, we had four wheel disc. 
you know, I couldn't, I couldn't remember if, if that change was made in, in, um, 89 or 90. I would have thought that it was made in 89, but I'm pretty sure that, uh, the 89 car had rear discs. So I, I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. And, and I'd have to take a look at the car to see if it has disc brakes or drum brakes on it, because I don't remember. I, yeah. you know, I, I remember that, that, you know, rear bearing failures, you know, we, we tricked it up to where we just had the, the drum and everything bolted onto the wheel and we took care of the rear bearings, you know, that way. And, you know, it was like a center knockoff. Right. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember that. All, all I remember is we were pitted in front of the tower in 89 at most port. And, um, um, we were in the back pits in 88 In 88. We were in the back pits. Okay. So maybe that's, and it was like right at the pit entry too, prior to the yes. starting. Yeah. So maybe that was the year that they did the documentary. Um, oh, the Honda document. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that could have been, have you well, seen they, in 80, in 89, they were filming because I remember, RJ, Ron, Trochio, our jack guy and tire changer, he told the he told the the video guy, he says, Now you stand back when we make a pit stop because I swing this jack behind my back and I'll clean you out you know, clean you out. Well, needless to say that the video guy was too close. RJ came out of the pits when the car stopped, swung the jack around and knocked the video guy on his ass. <laughs> but yeah, those were, those were, you know, the, the little things, but yeah, we came out of the box strong. I mean, you know, at Sears point, I think we finished one, two and B. They knew that we were serious for 1989. Yeah. I mean, we came out there. I mean, we weren't, we weren't a fluke and, um, uh, I mean, you and Scott, I mean, Scott, Scott was a good, consistent driver. And, you know, the one thing I could say about you, Peter, is, is your ice racing experience, you know, you could put a junk car under you and you would make the car look good. If you put a real good car under you, you just make it look that much better. You know, you can, you can drive anything. And, um, uh, feedback was good and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I pretty much set up the car the way you gave me input for, and then Scott could jump in and, and drive it. I mean, you know, there was, there was no problem there. I remember our friend Dix Erickson, just a little background on Dix. He was the manager of special projects at American Honda, who was responsible for overseeing the, the CRX program from American Honda's point of view, specifically in the IMSA Firehawk series, he had maybe more to do with that series. But I remember Lance complaining at one point, I forget when, in 1987 or 88 or whenever it was, that, uh, you know, how terrible the car was handling. And then Dix would get on the radio and explain to Lance that he's got a list of drivers that like to drive a CRX with a shit ton of understeer. <laughs> <laughs> so that would usually shut him up. But uh, yeah, Dix was our Swedish uncle and was uh, a big part of the experience and um, and stories. Really, yeah, and and a lot of the stories that maybe we won't talk about tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah the, the the 89 season was um it was a dream season i mean you know we we put together you know you and scott in in the 42 car and i think we started the season with ed connor and um tim, tim evans. evans in the 43 car and then um, 
Ed moved on, and I forget who else we slotted in the 43 car. Mark Mitchell, maybe? Mark 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 drove with us in 88. Okay, maybe Tony Swan? Swan drove with us in 88. I'm trying to go down through the the results here. Um in the 43 car. Cuz I know I know in most port it was it was you Scott and Tim Evans in the winning car. And then it was um, Ron Lazan, uh, Chet Phillip, and and um, Ron Cortez, I believe. Okay. What I see in the 1989 season was that it was Scott and I the whole year, but at the 12 hours of Mid-Ohio on July 17th, um, Ed Connor shared the car with Scott and I. And then at the most for 24 hour on August 13th, Tim Evans shared the car with Scott. Right. Right. Yeah, I I remember that. And it looks like we won the first six races and then we finished second at the last two races, probably because we felt sorry for the other guys. No, I don't. (laughs) No, actually, actually, I think the other guys started handling better in a straight line towards the end of the season. Well, you know, it's the, you know, like at Road America, turn, turn two, turn four, and turn 11 are very important corners there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lead, lead you onto those straightaways. <laughs> or non-corners. Yeah, non-corners, that's for sure. Which is, which is, you know, I mean, the CRX just, I mean, it was a great car maintaining speed. Yeah. And, you know, why don't, why don't you talk about driving the CRX and the handling characteristics? And, I mean, you drove, you drove in Firehawk and SCCA in 89, didn't you? Yep. And, you know, I always wondered what the difference in cars were. Yeah, that was a long time ago, and it's hard to really discriminate between them. Certainly, the general tires were the better tire um, compared to the spec tire that everybody had in the Firestone Firehawk series as far as grip level, you know, but both tires were perfectly good. And, and in the case of the Firestone Firehawk series, you know, everybody was on an equal footing, but the right. general tires that we had, um, I guess most of the people we were racing on were also on general tires, but weren't the Volkswagens on Goodyear? The Volkswagens were on Goodyears, yes. And the Goodyears, you know, we had been on, and I was on um, in my CRX in 1990 in the first year of the World Challenge. Um, So the Goodyears were certainly a a worthy competitor, but the generals did us uh, very proud and... uh, offered good grip. Yeah. The, the other thing behind the scenes is, you know, I would go in and take a look at the tires before we'd mount them up on the wheels. And Neil, who was the engineer from general, he would give me the build dates to take a look at. So we'd take a look at the build dates and pull those build dates out. And then we would go through and look at the shave on each of the tires and pick the ones with the best, you know, the best shave job. Wow. That's and, just like what the cup guys did in, in NASCAR to try to <laughs> match up, you know, the diameters of the bias ply Goodyear's. Um, but in this case, the tires were probably pretty equal to one another. But if the shave job, which was a manual process, was different that could that could play a role along with how fresh they were oh absolutely you know and now with these with these tires that you had um were they still doing the clamshell molding at this time or the nine segment or don't you know i'm i'm thinking it was clamshell i would have thought so too but i have no earthly idea yeah i 
the reason Jim asked that is he he built yeah, tire, I, or he designed tire molds. I didn't okay. design them. I just uh, I just programmed the machines for them. Uh, Firestone was one of the big uh, companies that we did. If you wanted to get fired, you would mention the Ford Explorer around Firestone people. <laughs> right, that was a bogus deal where the tires were underinflated and they were having an inordinate number of failures because they were running them at lower pressures. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, General Tire, I mean, Neil, the, the you know, the chief engineer, he, he worked close with everybody. And, um, um, you know, we were taking tire temperatures all the time and taking a look at the cambers and all that, you know, all the, the normal stuff. But, you know, we we went over and above trying to get the right tires for you guys. And, um, you know, the one thing that Lance didn't know, you know, he said, he said, well, you know, what shop did you have? And, and, you know, who was working on the cars between the races? I said, I was, you know, I would, I would pull the engines and, and do all the, the work on them between races at, at, at the apartment. And, um, you know, change out main bearings and rod bearings and, or rod bearings, because we did that every race and, uh, you know, ship the engines back to Oscar and stuff like that. And, you know, and he didn't realize that. I think, I think if he knew I was working on the cars as much as I was, he probably wouldn't have driven them. <laughs> no, that was, that was the key to our success that, the cars were looked after in between the races. A lot of these guys in that era were probably, you know, trying to do the prep the following weekend at the next venue. And in an endurance series, you know, that just is not the way to win a championship. No, no. I mean, we had our checklists and everything else. And, you know, I remember Mark DeBilla and, and, and Mike Thomas and RJ practice and pit stops and, and, um, you know, Donnie with the fueling and, yeah. and, you know, I mean, everything, it, that, that whole crew was just very, very dedicated. And, um, when, and I met all those guys through Ed Connor and when Ed left, you know, I went to the crew guys and I said, or because he, he, he went with, uh, wizard racing. Eddie Rivera. And, um, you know, I went to RJ and Mikey. I called him. I said, now, are you going with Ed? And they said, absolutely not. We want to win a championship. You know, so <laughs> they were, uh, they were loyal to, to, uh, to me and you and, and Scott and everybody. I mean, you know, the, they did an awesome job and, you know, they were Donnie, great bunch. yeah. Yeah, I mean it. It was uh, it was pretty good. Do you have a most memorable race from '89, Petey? Hmm. Trying to think. I don't know that there's any particular one that stood out, but I just remember, you know, how great it was to just show up and have a weapon that was worthy. And Scott and I were good friends and uh, good teammates. And uh, it was a different dynamic compared to Lance and me. But, um, and I don't know where, I haven't heard from Scott uh, in the last several years, whereas I stay in touch with Lance. But um, I know that Scott's son was racing at one point and, and all that. But no, we... We were good teammates and we had good communication and um, there was nothing that really was that dramatic throughout the year because we just went out and turned in the laps and came around and got the checkered flag. Yeah, well, and, and that, that maybe that's why 89 was so pleasurable. I mean, I just remember Boris said pulling jokes on you all the time. Was he out of prison? At that point, <laughs> I think he was on the Huber Law 
during that era. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember Mosport. Um, he put some black negligee in the back of the 42 car and had it hanging out the back. Yeah, I guess I remember that. And and I get a call from, from Charlie, you know. Said, Charlie Carnot, uh, assistant no, manager. No? No, what, wasn't Charlie Earwood the chief steward? Oh, Charlie Earwood, yeah. Charlie yeah. Earwood. So, so Charlie, Charlie sent, you know, pick control down, said, um, uh, you've got to bring the 42 car in. This was during a practice, of course. Um, because there is a piece of women's lingerie flapping from the back of your car. That adds five horsepower. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, some, some of Boris's annex, you know, trying to, trying to get back at Petey. But uh, yeah, Boris is still one of my best friends. And, you know, I talk to him once a week. I don't see him very often because he's, you know, in Southern California and I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but we stay in touch. And yeah, he was always a troublemaker um, ever since I met him in 1988. So he's always trying to stir up the pot. Yeah. He and he and the CMO boys and then Mitch Payton and, you know, they were, they were quite the crew. That's for sure. We sure had fun though, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, racing was fun. I mean, and it, well, when you do well, it's fun also. I mean, but... More uh, fun when you win. Yeah, it's always more fun when you win. But we were always, you know, first to the track and the last to leave. Um, and, the, and the guys never complained. I mean, we just, we wanted to make a point that that we're there to win. And we were always there before everybody else and swung the trailer doors open and, and, you know, Bobby Sousa was running the Honda parts thing out of our, our semi. Yeah. And, you know, so he would be there early and, you know, uh, start doling out parts to the teams and stuff like that. And, um, Bob Sousa, the flying Hawaiian. That's right. Number 36. (laughs) It was, he was the best. I think he passed away. Probably you know five or ten years ago. Oh, did but, he? Uh, what a what a great guy! What great memories of him throughout the years. Uh, he was a special special guy. Yeah, and he took that, good care of us with the parts. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then then Hipshin, who was back at at Honda, he was he was uh, one of Charlie's engineers or. Or, yep, Dave Dave Hipshin. Yeah, I've seen yeah. him a number of times over the years because he was from Wisconsin, so he would come back and check in and stop at the shop. Oh, nice. At the real-time racing shop, so I've stayed in touch with him. And Gary Gullstrand, he probably wasn't on. He, no. he was part of special projects, but um, I've seen him at American Honda you know, in a different position than he was when he was at uh, Special Rejects, as it was sometimes called. (laughs) (laughs) So, so did, did Charlie, uh, uh, Kurnut retire or? I'm sure that he did. I haven't heard from Charlie in forever. And of course, Dix Erickson passed away. Right. You know, I don't know how many years ago. Was it 15 years ago? Oh, at least. Maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. That was very sad. I feel bad that I lost touch with Dix in those late years. But yeah, he probably died around 2000, give or take, you know, two years. Yeah. Yeah. And then Ann Palmer, she did all the the PR stuff, not PR, but the advertising stuff. And they, they, they did a great job for us. I mean, you know, those cars were plastered all over Honda stuff. Yep. And I still am in touch with Ann. I'm friends with her on Facebook and I've, you know, would see her at Honda uh, whenever I visited in, in more recent years. So yeah, there were a lot of good people that, that helped us for sure. Yeah. Did, I mean, uh, did either of you ever get any information back from Honda? Uh, whether, your race results actually drove any sales? 
That's a hard to quantify question, but I think that you could ask Porsche that question or Ferrari that question. You know, Honda was not Porsche and was not Ferrari, but they went a long way to making their uh, name a respectable one in, in racing circles. So without seeing data that is specific to prove that one way or the other, I think that the legacy in this production-based format for Honda and Acura has had a lot to do with their panache and their brand recognition and their respectability for sure. Well, I know it moved the needle for General Tire. And, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways to figure ROI in racing. And, you know, back then, you know, back in the day, the easiest way to do it was, you know, writers write about the car. If you win, the car gets exposure and it's exposure dollars and they extrapolate that. But to put it into hard hard sales dollars, that's what started cutting sale or racing budgets because manufacturers couldn't put their finger on it. So there were there were other ways to get an ROI out of a racing program. And that's why Roger Penske's been so successful in that he's he's basically the names on his cars are partners in his businesses. And that's how they get their return on investment out of the racing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, like the manufacturer results for 88, 89. I mean, it's Honda all the way through, but that's only because they're running more than half the field. Well, that's not only because of that. Well, because you're driving, because you're driving and just absolutely fantastic top and bottom. But the, uh, might have been because we won six of eight races. Right. But I, I'm looking at the uh, the grid here, and there's a lot of CRXs on there. Uh, and what is it? After round seven, it's Honda with 81 manufacturer points and Volkswagen with nine. That's so because I, we buried him. You know, <laughs> the... the the VWs just couldn't, you, you know, we did our job. I mean, that that's that's what we came out to do. And in 88, we won five of eight races, finishing second at two others and then eighth at a third. So right. That, you know, so yeah, there were other Hondas out there that may have scored manufacturer points if we didn't have a good weekend, but... These were, you know, these manufacturers championships were specifically because Team GRR was there. And Honda wanted, you know, I mean, that that's, you know, Honda didn't care. I mean, on the they surface, didn't. they didn't care what Honda won the race as long as it was a Honda. Right. They had to, you know, walk a fine line there to not show favoritism. But it was exactly. a little bit hard when, when Team JR was the dominant <laughs> factor. And, and that was one of the, the, the deals I had with Honda when I started messing with different sway bars and, you know, our, our, our bump rubber packages and, and some of the other stuff we did. Um, Charlie and, and Dick said, you can, you can, whatever you do, you have for one race. But then everybody else is going to know about it because they're going to go tell everybody else because their their whole thing was we need to have all these Hondas competitive, right? So I and I you know and this is but it goes it, it goes back to one thing. I mean we we didn't have data acquisition then. You were my data acquisition, you know. Scott Gaylord was, you know, Tim Evans was, Ron Lausanne was. I mean, you know, 
that was the feedback. I mean, you know, you take tire temperatures, but um, that really doesn't mean anything when the when the most important corner on the track is, you know, the first or second corner, and you're taking tire temperatures after thirteen corners. You know, and right. so right. And so I depended a lot on, on, on the driver's input. And, you know, I, in some ways I'd, I'd like to see that happen again, where there's, there's no data acquisition. There's, you know, none of the fancy stuff on the cars and go back to the, given the crew chiefs and the drivers, you know, make them communicate instead of having a bunch of engineers. Now, now, PD, you may disagree with me on that, you know, because it, it makes racing easier, I believe, because you've got more data. Yeah, but keep in mind that at the front of every train crash is an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. You can use that one, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can take that data and you can extrapolate it any way you want. No, the engineers, you know, in the later years were a big part of the program. And, of course, we appreciate the engineers, but I'm just teasing. But, uh, yeah, we were more seat of the pants and just, you know, doing putting our best foot forward to try to get the car as good as it could be prior to the start of the race with the limited things that we we were even allowed to do. But then once the race started, we had to, you know, carry that car around the corner, no matter what it was doing. Right. Right. And we could make minimal changes in the pits and in in the amount of time for a stop, but not a lot. And that's, you know, like when it, when it would rain, we'd yank bump rubbers out, you know, or, or we'd unhook a sway bar or something like that, you know, just in, in, you know, just simple things to, to give you guys a, a hands up. But, you know, um, I mean, I feel, you know, and because of your ice racing experience, that the seat of the pants was developed on the ice. Or do you think it was developed in the autocross? Well, I think that it was all of the above. You know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just out there doing it and it was just a seat of the pants thing that you know in the beginning was raw talent but over the years of you know trying to come back with more than just the steering wheel in your hand was fine-tuned to you know stay within the limits of what the car could do on a given day and you know maximize the lap times and that and that's one thing I have to say. You never brought brought me back a dented car. I wasn't going fast enough. I because Dix always said, you know, he wants us to go just slow enough to win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when when you look at the results and we're finishing in front of all the A cars and sometimes in the top five overall. Uh, it kind of makes you wonder. That was impressive. Yeah, and something uh, Lance brought up last time was that during the entire endurance race, you could still be putting up like qualifying level times 10 hours in on those CRXs. They were very reliable and very consistent for sure. Yeah, that's 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 the good part about them. I mean, they they were they were a a, a timex. I mean, they they just kept ticking. You know, it was um, they were a good car. They were just a, a doggone good car and a fun car. You know, Absolutely. and I I I don't know if things will get back to that again ever again or not, but. Uh, um, you know, they just announced a new Integra. Oh. Acura just revealed that the Integra will be back for model year 2022. 
and that's all they said about it. So we have no idea what it's going to look like other than the front What's that? Let's hope they don't copy Toyota's pool with the Supra, where they took everything that made that special and just threw it out. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't think Honda will do that. I, I no, don't. Honda's. Honda's always been a little bit crazier than Toyota in terms of what they put out. I I don't know. Would you agree with that statement, Peter? Well, I mean, the Supra is a BMW, and any new Honda or Acura is not going to be any new internal combustion powered. Honda or Acura is not going to really have outside influence. If it's electric, then that's another story. Yeah. But, um, this new Integra is a complete unknown on what it's going to be, but I'm happy to see that nameplate back because the Integra was such a great car in all of its iterations. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you won how many championships with that car? Yes. Yes. Like yes as many. Yes as many. Our, <laughs> our, our team won five of the six years. Yeah. In from ninety seven to two thousand two. I only participated in the final year, two thousand two, and won the championship just from scoring more points than Pierre, which he very easily would have been a deserving champion if he hadn't had some bad luck along the way. But that, uh, well, that's right, because Parker was running an Integra, right? He was in the International Sedan Series in 86, or maybe 87, 88, 89, <coughs> before they did the Camel Lights thing. Right, that was him the and first Doug. generation. And then the second generation Integra, we won the Rally Championship in 1993, with the GSR model, but then the third generation Integra came out in 97 and it just dominated the touring car ranks from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, 88 was a dream season. I mean, we, we, we dominated everything. I mean, Oscar built great motors. We had, you know, good pit stops. You and, Scott were, you know, and I, I don't know why you and Scott didn't share the driver's championship. We did. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. We were co-champions in 1989. Okay. You said 88, you meant 89. 89. Yeah. 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 They were, uh, at the end, let me just scroll down to the bottom here. Uh, yeah. Pete and Scott were co-champions and then, uh, Daniel Villu, or hey, however you, you print, VU. Yeah. And Tim Evans shared third. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There. And, and Ed Connor was down at ninth. Right. Well, Ed had left us, and, and like I said, he went with Wizard Racing. But um, good old Eddie Rivera. Yeah. Eddie Rivera. And. Um, and Daniel, he drove with the Jackson Young bunch. Um, right, so that was a different team. It just was a coincidence that he and Tim Evans had the same number of points. Right, right. Because they, and that's, I mean, he got those in the last two races because he was the one that beat us at the last two races. Right. So that's what, that's what put him ahead of Tim. So. But, but see, Ron Lazan, and I was looking down through the results, Tim Evans and Ron Lazan ran with us the rest of the season in the 43 car. Ron Lazan is a great man. Yeah, yeah. And I just saw Tim Evans at the vintage races, I think, in 2020 at Road America. Really? Hadn't, hadn't seen him in forever, and there he was. Nice. I'll be darned. Was he driving? Yeah. No, I think he was acting as a steward or some kind of a official for the for the weekend. Yeah, because he was, you know, I mean, we had we had quite the height differences 
with with uh, um, Ron and Tim in in the in the forty three car. I mean, you you and Scott were pretty much the same height, but but Tim Tim was a monster. I mean, he folded himself in that car and and just drove it. Yeah, he was very tall, and and Ron is you know a couple inches shorter than I am, probably. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you, so, you know, and, and Ron was a, a good find. And, you know, and one of the things that we found at Mostport early on in 86 was you always wanted to have a Canadian driver in your car when you raced at Mostport. Because if you went off at a corner and you didn't have a Canadian driver in your car, the corner workers and the tow trucks would be real slow. <laughs> and that, that was, uh, I had in 86, I had Epi Wietzis's son drive for me. And that was one of the things that that they made a point of is is they went and talked to all the corner workers and told them what car they would be in huh and you know a, a, a blue flag would come out at an appropriate time or yeah <laughs> there was there was <laughs> always always something but you always wanted a canadian in your car when you did most sport and but uh Ron jumped in at, at, at the 24 hour and I mean, he stayed with us after that. So. Yeah, that was, that was great. He did a great job there. And, and the following year, 1990, Ron was on and I teamed up with Randy Popst to win the 24 hours of most board for the third year in a row. Nice. That was a team Honda entry that year the Dix Erickson thing, but, uh, that was certainly a highlight of the year. One of the handful of races we won that year, but finished second in the championship to Tommy Archer that year. Yeah. Tommy or Bobby. The Archer brothers. Yeah. Cheat on Monday, sell, cheat on Sunday, sell on Monday. So <laughs> I'll never forget were, the truck, right? The, the, the the Detroit truck race, you know, <laughs> and we're in imp we're in impound, and they got bounced out, and um, Tommy said, "Hey, all the pictures will show up in the newspaper tomorrow of us holding the champagne and spraying it, and and you know the jeep in the winter circle, and you know who cares about anything else." <laughs> Should we save the 1990 season for a future podcast? I don't. Uh, that that's uh, kind of the idea behind this, but we can. Uh, I can always split and cut things out. But before we uh, go on, if, if we decide to go on that, uh, I have one question for you, Petey. I asked Lance this last time. Now, how do you feel about these basic commuter car, the CRX? now becoming what's essentially a classic a desirable classic car these days well i know a little bit about that <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that these older hondas whether it's something as desirable as a crx si first gen or second gen or whether it's a honda accord automatic from days gone by that the values of those cars seems to be appreciating in the last say five years. Um, we've got a one owner 1990 CRX SI with 10,500 miles on it. That is just stupid. How, how minty fresh it is. And you just can't find those cars. They're, every old CRX that you're going to find, you know, with very few exceptions, is going to have 150 or 200,000 miles on it. It's going to have rust in the quarter panels or the other places where they would rust. 
and the, you know, interiors are trashed and they were, you know, because they were not, they were not something that were cherished like, you know, some low production sports car might be case in point. Uh, uh, you know, the, the difference between the, the T360 Honda truck, which was their very first four-wheeled Honda after building a name for themselves in motorcycles, they built this little mini pickup truck called the T360. They made 110,000 of them. And, you know, there's very few left in the world because those were appliances. Three months after they built that car, they built the S500 sports car, which was very quickly replaced with the S600. And those numbers of production are, you know, maybe 15% of what the production of the little pickup truck was from the same era. But those vehicles were more cherished. And as, as many of those vehicles that are destroyed because they rusted away to powder, um, there's a much higher percentage of those. So point being, the, the CRXSI was a great little car, but it wasn't necessarily a classic car that people were going to you know, stow away in their garage and save because they thought that it was going to be worth money someday. So that makes these rare examples that are unused, you know, that much more valuable. Yeah, I saw, I saw, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw one on Bring a Trailer that, that, that brought 30000 Yeah, they, they bring a lot of money for sure. Speaking of used CRXs on Bring a Trailer, should we talk about the 1989 number 42? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because somebody in New York bought it, right? Right, but there's there's a lot to the story. Um, starting out at the July Vintage Races in 2020, Danny Stewart who I just met that weekend was running an X Mark Hine Firehawk fourth gen prelude in, in passing, he mentioned that he had this John Torox team GRR 1989 number 42 CRX SI and asked me if I was interested in purchasing it. And I immediately dismissed it and said, no, uh, that's not a real-time racing car. That's so I, I didn't really want to open up that Pandora's box, right? To, to start buying non-real-time racing cars because you know I had my hands full just trying to preserve the, the your heritage, absolutely the, our, yeah. our our team's heritage that started before I drove for you, but really got going you know a few years after I drove for you. But so that was that was that I he asked me if I was interested. I said no. And then the next thing you know, you know, a few months ago, there it was on bring a trailer. So I I remember seeing it and I'm like, oh, wow, this is great. But I, I posted on there. I, I bid forty two hundred dollars, which I often do. I, I tend to bid forty two hundred dollars on cars that I know will sell for more than forty two hundred dollars. I bid $42,000 on other Hondas that I know will go for more than 42000 just to kind of <laughs> put my footprint there. And I explained that I was not interested in this car um, because it's not a real-time racing car, and you know, but it should be a good car for someone, you know, best of luck to, to the bidders. Right. So that was that. And then um, I was talking to my friend, uh, Anthony Sarah, who um, I was reacquainted with years before because I happened to buy a third-gen Honda Prelude SI four-wheel steer off of Bring a Trailer for all the money because it was still in the wrapper, one owner, 9,700 miles, original tires. Just wow. Another, another one of these stupid... Wow. you know, unused cars. And I, I was the winning bidder on that. And then it turns out it was Anthony Sarah. Well, Anthony Sarah is someone who I knew from the past. He drove a real-time racing TSX 
at a one off on a one off experience at, at Lime Rock, I think in 2008 or something, you know, before that. Um, so, um, in the meantime, then he and I stayed in touch and would talk about, you know, old Hondas and old BMWs and, and the cars he was selling on bring a trailer as one of the most active bring a trailer sellers. Um, and so we got to talking about the CRX and he said that he was going to buy it. And I'm like, okay, so that's when I, um, I think it was the day that the auction was going to close. I called you, John. You're right. And, and we talked about it and, and got the lowdown. And I reported back to Anthony and I said, yeah, it's the real deal. This is the 42 car from 1989. It has the window sticker. It's got, you know, the heritage. And so he's like, well, I'm going to buy it. And I'm like, okay, that's good. And then we got to talking about it more. And when it came right down to it, he was the winning bidder. But then he basically laid a guilt trip on me and said that I should buy that car. <laughs> and, and because, you know, it was the car that I won the championship in, that, but that I should let him drive it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so one way or the other... It ended up getting delivered here to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and is currently about a hundred feet from me. And uh, it was just surreal to see this thing get unloaded off the truck. And I, in fact, then immediately, while the transporter driver was still buttoning up his truck, I immediately hopped into it for the first time in what? 34 years or 30 yeah. some. And it was just unbelievable. It's just like, Oh yeah. I remember this car. Yeah. How many hours did I spend in that car? Yeah. So I drove it up and down the street and it sounded great and it performed great, you know, just up and down the street. So, right. uh, whatever. So, we haven't really done anything to it since, but Anthony Sarah wants to come and drive it at an event in the future, and I'm going to let him. But in the meantime, I think that I'm going to keep it um, as part of my own collection, which has kind of taken some twists and turns recently. But um, it'll be the ninth race car in our race car collection. Granted, it's the only non time racing car, but it's right. it's, uh, it's the oldest car, not including the uh, Chris Bovis 1988 number 42 right. car that, that he owns, uh, formerly of Milwaukee and presumably somewhere in the Midwest still. But this 1989 CRX SI is the oldest championship winning car that I'm aware of because the the, the rally car got destroyed in its first outing after we gave it to the Ohio guys, all the three ice racing championship winning cars were all crusher cars that got destroyed, you know, 30 some years ago. Right. So it occurred to me that why not take possession of this 1989 CRX SI that was such a dominant and special car in my history. It was my, it was my second world challenge championship and my probably my fourth professional racing championship. So uh, I'm excited that it, that I get to look at it every day when I get to work. Well, I'm, 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 I'm glad it's there because when, when Danny, when Danny finished it, I went up to see it and I took it up and down the road and, and, and Peter, you know, <laughs> little harder to get in and out of now but <laughs> well it's smaller it's yeah. smaller now John. yeah the car the car shrunk over 30 some years but uh <laughs> um the throttle response i mean you know and just the shifter and it, it, the tonality it, of the engine yeah i mean it just it it, it was it, it was like home 
you know, I, I, I popped open the hood and remembered all the little things. And, you know, I mean, he didn't, he didn't put the light brackets back on for the 24 hour races. And, you know, there was an, I think he did a really good restoration. I don't know what it looked like when he got it, but there's very little that I would need to do to make it a hundred percent. It's, it's really nice. Well, he, the, the, the only thing that was pointed out on, on bring a trailer was that it had a 1990 bumper on it. Okay. That it didn't have a 1989 bumper because it had the, the fog light insets on it. And the 89 car didn't have those fog light insets. Well, that's a pretty interesting detail that someone noticed. Yeah, well, you 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 know the fanatics that are out there, and Danny said that there's a an '89 bumper that was in all the spares. Right, I did. I do have an extra bumper. I guess I didn't do a AB comparison to to see if it was, you know, and then part number. But that's great. And then I I looked back at old pictures, and and sure sure enough, yeah, there there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean you know some of the things we did you know with the you know on the front suspension and the bushings and you know all the stuff that we weren't allowed to do but did you know and slotting the subframe and moving it around and you know just try to get more caster in it so we didn't have to run as much camber and i mean it's just just stuff, you know, and I didn't get it up on the rack to look underneath, but I mean, you know, that was out of my hands for, I mean, it, I sold it to Rodney Alameda who ran it in Firehawk for So he would have run it in Firehawk in, in 1990? Yeah. And then what happened to it? Well, he, he ran it in, in 90 and 91, I think. And then it went to New England and that's where Danny found it. Do we know its crash history? Uh, I do not know its crash history. Did I we mean, ever crash it in 1989 in the Escort? No. Series? No. That car. That car was. No, the forty. The the the, the forty two car from uh, from 19, <laughs> That's a different story. Um. But no, I mean, I, that's what I said. I can't remember any major crash damage to that car at all. If anything, there might have been a fender. There might have been, you know, a front fender or scuff on the door or something like that. But it had it had no damage when it was in my care. Yeah, I, I haven't done a complete inspection up on the rack but it sure looks like it's in great shape and straight the you know the front frame rails seem perfectly good so that's fantastic that this thing could have survived that long to be a rust free you know wonderful car and yeah. i what's it? i look forward to driving it myself when when anthony says i can yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad. I'm glad it's up there. I mean, it 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 was special for me to see it. It it brought, actually, brought a tear to my eye, um, because I'm sentimental that way, and <laughs> and um, it it's. I mean, it was a great car. I mean, now I I don't know what happened to the '43 car from '88 or the '43 car from '89. You think they were crushers? Well, I know I know the '89 car was a crusher because the, that car that you have had a title and a registration and everything. And Wait, a window what? sticker from Wakeham Honda. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I mean that's the car I bought because Honda's deal was you buy a car, they give you a car. So that's a great deal. And and I don't remember. Chris Bovis's car if that was the purchased car or that was the Honda give me car well, I, he claims that it's know, 142 
it, it it is the car though. I know that for sure because I knew where it was sold to and and we traced it that way. But this car that you have, I actually had the logbook for that here. And did you did you happen to see that it wrote Atlanta in 1989 that I took the car to tech and signed the logbook? Well, I saw a different signature in there, but I couldn't tell if that well, was it's clearly my signature. You can read it very clearly because my signature is very clear. <laughs> so there, you know, as is your as is your signature. I mean, if you if I had, if I if you wrote, you know, hello, my name is Steve in your handwriting and and you handed it to me from the clear blue sky i would look at it and say that's john torok's handwriting <laughs> that's how distinctive your handwriting was yeah yeah it still is i remember signing checks to you no actually <laughs> <laughs> but those, that was the, the, those were kind of shaky though your name was it's like you were jiggling the panel off yeah it, no, those, those were pleasurable. Oh, he was hoping that he was hoping that the bank would see this doesn't match up. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, John always paid his bills too. You know that's that, something that not everybody in racing can say. John always took care of everybody and paid all of his obligations. Yeah, that's that's the one thing you can't do if if you want to make a living out of it is is make enemies and uh, right. And I mean, it paid off. I mean, you know, and, and we we went on and, you know, and, and, and we swapped to that truck series in 90. But, um, you know, we did OK with that, too. Yeah, not, not um, too bad. I think we'll try for the truck series at another time. I got to do some digging on that. <laughs> Make sure I can find results and stuff like that. I think I know where to find them. I think I can send you a scan of the sports car magazine year in review. I would greatly appreciate that. But that was a very special year as well. And the third year in a row that John Torok delivered a championship for general tire. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. that, <laughs> that was, uh, and my brother had to ruin it all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when children Is come along, that other things happen. So, <laughs> otherwise, there might have been a fourth and a fifth. But, um, um, yeah, I mean that that your championship truck I sold to Wiley Timbrook in Colorado. Wow. So I don't know what Wiley did with it after that. And then the, well, we'll have to dig it up. And then the 43 truck, Warren Mosler still has. Okay. So, but the 42 truck, I know I sold to Wiley because he picked it up and he was going to run some, I don't know if he was going to run an oval track series with it out there or, or he was going to road race it or what he was going to do. Because wasn't he one of uh, Wallen's drivers? Seems like he was, or, or at least he drove a Mitsubishi. Yeah. But I remember that name for sure. And Chet Phillips, speaking of Chet Phillips, what an awesome dude that guy is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he built he built two good trucks, and then we we worked on them from there. I mean, so we'll have to talk about that in our next episode. Yeah. So. But anyway... So, Thank you, Petey, for coming on. Uh, we'll try to get a good time to do the episode on the truck racing. Um, thanks, Dad, once again, for going and telling your stories. Uh, any final words before we sign off? Yeah. Uh, Petey, why don't, why don't you think about bringing the CRX down to Daytona in October? I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd love to bring a bunch of cars down there, but it's kind of a expensive date. 
and without a lot of uh, income from my business because of COVID, I don't know that it's a good idea. It was one thing to drive 40 miles up the road to go to Road America for Road America vintage and right. have some fun. <clears throat> well, talk talk to talk to the guy that that wants to drive it and see if he wants to have it there. <laughs> okay, because I mean, there's actually going to be a a, a a Firehawk Escort reunion. That's great. I am excited to to know about it. And if I can't bring cars, I'd like to at least come and see it for myself. Yeah, and then then Lance is going to come up. Um, I'm going to go over. Danny is. <laughs> Danny put me on his pit crew, um, and he he just sent me pictures today. He has one of Vardy's RS Challenge chargers. Wow, and he's he's getting that ready. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of those the Firehawk escort cars that are becoming more and more desirable. And, and now that HSR has made a class for them, um, it's going to be interesting to see how many come out of the woodwork. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's a great idea and I'm all for it and I would like to participate, but I just don't know that we'll have cars there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you'll be down. That'll be good. We could sit around and, and lie to each other. Talk about the old days. Yeah, yeah, bench race. <laughs> I, that sounds I like can, a lot of fun. Yeah, that that's that's like I used to tell the story. I I knew I knew Tom Klein before he was TC. So <laughs> I knew I knew Peter Cunningham before he was PD. You know. <laughs> so I was PD. I was PD before nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, well, okay, my Good. friend, it was great hearing from you. It was awesome to be with you both and fun Thank to talk you. about the 1989 season and we'll look forward to the next installment. Okay. All righty. Take care. Bye. Yep. Bye.